Hello and welcome to the Remaining Sane, Finding Peace in Our Chaos podcast, a podcast about both theology and police work. I'm your host, Will. And in today's episode, I interview Adam Weitzkarter, the Executive Director of the Chattanooga House of Prayer. Adam, how are you today? I'm well, Will. How are you? Good. Um, Adam, would you mind just telling us a little about what you do, who you are, just a, a brief background as sure. to who Adam Weiscarver is? Yeah, so uh, I I mean, I'm not sure exactly where to start. I'm, I'm married, been married, just celebrated 17 years of marriage. I have, we got a little bit of a late start. We have uh, four four kids that age almost 13, all the way down to four. So I got my hands full on the domestic front. And then I wear, uh, as a full-time job, I work as the executive director of the Chattanooga House of Prayer. And then I am part-time minister at Red Bank Cumberland Presbyterian Church. So um, at, at the Chattanooga House of Prayer, which I, you know, I think that's probably our main, uh, what we're having a conversation about today, uh, we're a ministry that basically our goal is to transform the city. Now, I know that sounds like a nebulous target. What in the world are you trying to hit? What does that mean? Um, but, you know, just sort of looking back, there's never been a long-term revival in the history of the church without a unified praying church. Now, I have to qualify that a little bit. Um, you, I there's times where you don't have everybody unified behind the front, but you've got to have a good number of people unified and praying uh, to see transformation in any given area. Um, and so that's really what we are. We work to do. We work to get um, churches and nonprofits praying together and then finding ways to build relationship with one another to where they can trust one another to do um, you know, ultimately, um, some service stuff and evangelism that helps, you know, make a difference in people's lives. And I can get into the practical details of how that works. But I mean, if you think, you know, vast majority of churches are a hundred people and less, and you need a lot of them just at this point are going to get three volunteers for any given thing. Well, you can do an after school tutoring program. If you've got five of those churches each taken a week, so to speak. Uh, you've got 15 volunteers that can handle that rather than just one church by itself saying, well, we can't do that. I mean, it, it sort of makes a lot of churches powerless to take action. Um, you know, and and I, I don't want to say this uh, overemphasizing this, but I'm just trying to be mindful of your audience. Like, we're, we're trying to make a difference and get the church in there to make a difference for some of the things that you guys are having to deal with. Uh, but as far as our interest is concerned, or at least mine, you know, I'm, I'm about people having a close relationship with the Lord. And, you know, I've got a long story of how the Lord, you know, I could say raised me up to be here or equipped me to be here, right, or called me to be here. But, you know, I'd, I'd encountered ministries that were about prayer before, and they frustrated the living daylights out of me because— How, how did they do that? Yes, well, they, um, they did not—they didn't take action. And I honestly believe you don't pray correctly if you're not doing something to take action. You, your prayers are— are just going to kind of be terrible and self-centered, honestly. They, they just turn in on themselves and they become pointless and just monotonous, irritating prayer meetings. Um, but if you have prayer and you're, you are looking to how to become the answers to your own prayers as much as possible, right? There's, you want to pray things that are like you can't, 
touch, so to speak, but at the same time, you can at least do your part. And so um, I guess the, the scriptural example is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's praying, and I mean, he's praying intensely, and then he takes action by going to the cross and dying on the cross for our sins. Where is he now? He's again back in that cycle of prayer, and he's going to take action again by coming back to rule and reign. So prayer done right should result in taking action. Those actions should leave you in a place where you are even more hungry to go back to the place of prayer and getting re-energized, recharged, uh, re-equipped, recalibrating, I would say, kind of thing. Now, these are, you know, human terms, so to speak, but of what the Lord's doing in your heart at that, through that, but it it should be something that takes action. So uh, the way we do this is we have sort of three main ministries. We have a uh, I could call it a, it's an ecumenical, ecumenical, it's a hard word to say. I messed it up right there. You mind defining it? Yep. Um, so it's just really the whole church, lowercase c, lowercase c, Catholic, uh, for all the churches that would be really, I mean, we, we uh, for Bible-believing churches, mm-hmm. uh, churches that would adhere to what the tradition of the church has taught throughout its history, and we have, you know, them come for, we have a, we have a retreat house, so to speak, a, an urban monastery, if that word doesn't al- alarm people. But, I mean, the old days of a monastery was in the center of a, of, a, of a town, easily accessible, a place that partnered with the local parishes and churches to help with the spiritual development of the people, a place where you could always go to seek the Lord and pray, have someone where you can, that can help lead you through prayer. So we've got a a retreat house here, really, um, at the Chattanooga House of Prayer. It's a facility we host about 100 retreats per year for the metro area. Um, and we have people from all over coming, and they, they'll take – you can do an individual retreat. You can take your just your Bible study, small group, your leadership team. Um, it can be – we've had businesses. We've had business leaders come in. We've had – you know, and churches come in, church staff, sessions, uh, whatever – Session is the executive board of a Presbyterian church, for those mm-hmm. of you that don't know. And then, you know, that that is, I tell people, if every, if we lost everything else that we did, that would be the one thing that I would keep. Because I, I have seen so much uh, life transformation just from people actually slowing down and being able to address some of the things that they need to address before the Lord. That's a big point that um, I've had a couple other guests make, is that our lives right now mm. have a bunch of, busyness around oh, yeah. us oh yeah Tox- um, toxic levels of busyness yes uh, uh and, and i actually mean like it's it's causing chemical stuff to happen in your brain that are that's messing with you i mean there's there's a biology to what we're doing i mean we are uh psychosomatic beings right mm. so i think uh it's interesting you know the need for that has certainly grown but there are people that usually what happens is There'll be a group that comes, they come one time, and then they sign up to come again next year. And that's how we've grown with that. So that's the first ministry. Uh, that's our rhythms ministry because we try to put people in good, healthy mm-hmm. rhythms. Then we have what's called Pray Chattanooga, and it's a network of pastors that they really gather in small regional networks. They go all the way down to Lafayette, go all the way up to Saudi Daisy. And these are small networks of pastors. Uh, we'll do about 200 prayer meetings this year, I think, with them between 150 and 200, somewhere in that ballpark. And they gathered for building relationships. Uh, obviously, I, I hope that you're 
audience knows that like you got to have someone to talk to, right? That <laughs> understands. So um, pastors are the same way. They've got to have somebody that knows what they're dealing with, and so they exchange sort of best practices on how to handle stuff, talk through ministry, talk shop, you know, all that sort of stuff, and they pray with each other over things. But out of that, we're always encouraging them find ways to serve, uh, find ways to do things to um, come together, like I spoke about earlier. And we've seen some good traction. You know, um, it takes a while before they develop those relationships of trust to do that. But we've seen some really cool things from food pantries getting started uh, to uh, inner city uh, at-risk youth getting off the streets to reduce gang violence. We've partnered with the city on several projects with that where we've gotten them off of the streets during certain key weeks like spring break and fall break and uh hallow weekend which i didn't know really was a thing shows you how far behind. oh yeah 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 if you're a cop you're very aware oh, yeah. yeah yeah so that um so we're trying to help uh you guys with stuff like that um well th- that's where the change really is right like for on a side note we can you know quote unquote police our our communities yeah. really hard take people to jail yeah. do, do our end but the police is a Band-Aid. We are not right. like a long-term solution to these long-term problems that create a society where we have issues of lots of violence among the youth and um, you know, drug use. Um, yeah. Like, we, we, you know, we, we can't – our goal or our job is to find people that are committing crimes and then take them in front of a judge – and then, you know, eventually have a, a trial or plea out or whatever, you know, but we're, we're, our whole goal is to see a crime and then arrest the person off the crime. Um, if you have to collect more evidence then the arrest is delayed from the crime itself, that's fine. But the police department is not a social welfare service. That's like all encompassing for everyone. Right. And if we want sustainable change for our communities, it's not just up to to you know to us like we we do our part right but i can't as a cop on shift create sustainable change by myself for an entire community right right uh, more than any one person or organization could do correct yeah and and so you know this is one of the things that i appreciate about what you're talking about here is that you know in, in the long run we're both benefiting each other yes and it's not just that you're doing one thing and it's, and it's like a, a transaction, then I do something for you. No, it's like we, we are participating together in this greater vision for for the well-being and the prosperity yes. of God's people, yeah. right? Sorry to interrupt you. No, but, no, yeah. uh, absolutely. Uh, it is, you know, um, we want to see the churches do more of this, but it takes time. Like when I speak about revival – Okay, or transformation, you know, just in the history of America, when we've done this, it has been um, on a 50-year time frame. That's really what we're thinking. And so we, you know, we're, we are in this for the long haul. We are working very hard to not only do what we're talking about, but to institutionalize it, not only in chat hops, you know, internal structure, but like where we're seeing some success for this coming year is based off things that we did last year. Churches, we have some churches in town that are changing what their calendar says. Now, let me tell you, it's it's nearly a miracle to have a church change its calendar for stuff. But the good side of this is that if they change their calendar, uh, 
to do things together with each other, then that's also a miracle for them to change their calendars off of doing things together. So, you know, little by little moving in that direction where churches uh, are tackling some of these things, you know, just dreaming here, you know, uh, there's what, uh, around 300 kids in the foster system in Hamilton County. There's 1,200 churches. Okay, we'd love to get the churches coordinated. Now, this is us moving down the road a bit with some of these things. But okay, let's pray to like take care of the foster care system and have just one third of our churches have the system because there is a lot of logistical legwork to do to coordinate things like this. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, people, you hear people say, well, why can't we just work together to figure stuff out like this? Well, part of it is there's there can be bad blood or everybody's got a different idea. So there's the coordinating, building the relationship side. But then you actually have to build some infrastructure to handle things like this. But once it's built, so uh, you can move much more quickly. So, for example, with this Hallow Weekend, we were asked um, to, out of our networks, you know, can you get some churches to bring the candy and do the trunk or treats because that's going to help get the kids there. So, I mean, there were about, I think there were 30 to 35 organizations total. And I want to say there were 14 of those were churches. Mm -hmm. So that's a big witness, in my opinion, to the city of like, as we grow this, we can show, look, the church, which is, you know, a a huge, like the biggest beneficence organization in the city by far is the collective church. Like if we could figure out how to unite around around those things, we could make a huge difference. And then, I mean, and, it, and it's a simple pitch to your people, you know, as a pastor. You know, you say, look, you can reduce violence on the streets by coming up with this kind of uh, these kind of activities for this, this these these demographics, kind of a thing. And and Chris Sands from the city can demonstrate, you know, statistically, we're reducing violence when we do stuff like this. Mm-hmm. So that's. You know, those are just small pictures, examples of what we're doing. So that's the network of pastors. And then we have a third um, arm of our ministry. So rhythms of the retreats, networks of the pastors that build those relationships of prayer and trust and then serve. And then the third thing uh, is w- what we call the Union Chattanooga. And that is basically a group of, uh, of worship leaders and artists from around town. And they get together. They actually write music. You can find them on Spotify, locally written, produced um, and just the heartbeat behind that, okay, we're the house of prayer. Again, we care about prayer tremendously. Um, I believe the most passionate prayers that people of God pray are uh, done through song. St. Augustine, he who sings, prays twice. And there's just a whole theology that we have to recover for of prayer that we're not, we've just kind of lost that. People just kind of show up and sing as opposed to actually like are interceding at the same time they're doing this. And if you look at the book of Psalms, sorry if I'm deluging you with information, but the book of Psalms, you know, is a, is a, is a song book. It was originally a hymnal for Israel. And so working to bring back that kind of uh, mentality, ethos, and practice uh, to the church, because read the Psalms, these, they're locally written for a specific prophetic situation, and then it's applied for broader appeal. Right, so you can write the songs of your people, uh, or for for your town, but it will have a a broader appeal. An example of this: "Amazing Grace" was written for a community of about two thousand people in only England. Uh, obviously, it's got wider appeal, right? So there's a lot of songs like that, a lot of hymns that you've sung or heard of that you know lasted throughout the centuries. They were written for a specific example or situation in a town or mm-hmm. small area, 
and then ended up because it was so guttural and right down to the core of who those people were, uh, it had broader appeal to the rest of the church of people in similar situations. This is kind of a side note, but have you heard of uh, Appalachian Orthodoxy? What that is? I have not. Okay, so Wayne County, I think it's Wayne County, West Virginia, okay. had a monastery moved there from St. Louis in the 60s or 70s. It was a, uh, I think it was a Rokor, Russian Orthodox okay. Church outside of Russia. It's with yep. Father David Pressridge. That's the, um, that, that's the church he's involved in. They moved their monastery from St. Louis to, um, to West Virginia, and... It you know started as a little shack and then it it grew and now they've you know, they've got um, if I understand they're building um, some large cathedral esque um, church mm-hmm. there now, but church building. But anyways, the point that I'm making here is they record. Uh, you can go and like buy these. They record the music that they create, mm. and it is yeah. orthodox hymns that are done by backwoods Appalachian people. Oh, wow, well, yeah. And it, it's really, really interesting to listen to them because it's old, like, Gregorian-esque type chant done by people that say that say orange like orange. Or and, and it, it's, a, it's really neat because it's like bluegrass. It's like the... It sounds like someone who would sing bluegrass is participating in Gregorian mm-hmm. chant. All that being said, um, that that's really a really good picture of what I, I believe that worship music should be. Like it, it's a it's yeah. a product. It's 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 got eternal truths. Yep. But it's a product of the cultural time and moment that that the yeah. that the music is from. Right. Yes. Um, you'll get to something very deep and guttural that mm-hmm. will recycle for other people. Like if I, if I want to read stuff about the Trinity and I want to go deep there, it you know I can read stuff that's been written today, and that's there's a value to that. Sure, look having the the hindsight of looking backwards, but there's also you go back and you read stuff when people were dealing with the doctrine of the Trinity. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you're you're going to get really uh, some meaty stuff because they were you know there's a difference of what you write when you're in the middle of a war mm-hmm. so to speak uh, and the intensity with which somebody might write that doctrine uh, or the Holy Spirit for example read read Gregory Nazianzen and you're like oh man this guy is uh, he's just intense mm-hmm. and it's kind of refreshing honestly yeah. especially in our day and age yeah. Yeah, or you read Bonhoeffer, and then right. um, like, what, what would Bonhoeffer be without the war, right? Like that would right. I don't right. think it'd be near as intense. No, right? correct. Um, well, I want to return to one of the things that you mentioned um, about us being psychosomatic beings. Yes. Um, so, one of the points that came up in my mind. Uh, well, first of all, um, I actually pulled up the definition of psychosomatic, and according to Google, right here. Psychosomatic means of a physical illness or other condition caused or aggravated by a mental factor such as internal conflict or stress. And apparently this term didn't exist until about the 1930s. In the 50s it got big and we still it's still being used it today. It sounds really cool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um it's fun to say just just try, you know press pause yeah. and, and say it a few times back to yourself yeah. and you'll, you'll you'll feel good about yourself. Um and if I'm if I understand 
correctly, basically psychosomatic is, you know, the, the chemicals that are running around in your brain, right? And then if those get out of balance, then it can cause yeah, you. Yeah. Basically, like stress will have an, an effect on your health. Like, oh, I'm going to have a heart attack. Well, sometimes, yeah. I mean, that's that's something that's stressing you that's affecting your body. Yeah. yeah. Well, this is why um, heart attacks are considered a like a work-related um, death mm-hmm. if you're a cop because of all the stress. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I did it, not know that. It's assumed wow. that if you have a, if, that's why if you have a heart attack, it's assumed that like the job did it to you because wow. you're so stressed out all the time. Wow. Um, at least that's how it is in our state. That sounds right. Yeah. Um, anyways, so one of the points that I wanted to create is the one of, one of the things that we were talking about is we were unhealthily distracted today. Mm-hmm. Like we, you know, we don't yeah. have near the amount of focus that. And I I grew up, phones were introduced, like smartphones were introduced to me um, in like late elementary school. So yeah. I've I've seen these things since I was, um, you know. Eight years old. So. Well, a little, a little bit after that. Um, so, you know, about 10 years old is what I'd say. Like with that, when it started really becoming prevalent, 10, years old. It came out in 2007, old. isn't that right? I, I want to say. I think. So, but, it, but not it, everyone had one. Okay. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. Fair. Um, that's still nuts to yeah. me. I'm an old man and I'm not, I mean, I'm 42. I'll let them know. But there, there like, there was a, a cultural change. Ab- right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. And now we are, our phones are constantly going off. We can do so many good mm-hmm. things with our phone, mm-hmm. but one of the, the issues is the, you know, the, the amount of dings and ticks and. Oh, it, yeah. it, it it trains you to you know constantly like essentially you almost feel like there's a monkey on your back all the time right you yes. always got to be paying attention to your phone um as a police officer it's that times 100 with your radio right mm-hmm. because you're sitting there and not only do you have your phone you gotta be you gotta be watching out for that because you're you know your supervisor may call you some of your buddies may call you uh god forbid you're on call and then you you are definitely going to get called out, but your radio is always right there. It's you know right next to your ear, and all the information that you need for your job is coming out of that radio right there. Mm. Also, you've got your computer in your police car, and it's got a lot of information that you can access. You could access from your radio, but you don't want to be accessing it from your radio because you don't want to be tying up the traffic on the radio channel. And there's multiple channels in the radio, and and if you're really crazy, you have a second radio going in your car, and you're listening to a different channel um, from a different part of the city as to what's going on over there. Mm-hmm. So all that being said, are you responsible to do that all at the same time? Like you need to be listening to both parts of the city. So, um, or would they get you, on? A you di- don't. On your you don't channel? have to, okay. but it is highly recommended that you do. Okay. Because you know, crime that happens in one part of the city, a lot of times if it's you know, a quote unquote serious crime translates to a different part of the city. Sure. And so, um, like a couple nights ago, we had someone get carjacked and the car drove from one side of the city to the other side of the city. And okay. you yeah, know, yeah. I that wouldn't have sense. known that that car was carjacked when someone else saw it, unless I was listening to a different channel. Got it. And Tracking. so with all that being said, um, what your phone is, is like what we're dealing with, but, 
to the nth degree, right? Because we not only mm-hmm. do we have the phone, but we've got we've got to do all these different things at the same time. Like, and all we've got to do all these things as we're driving, right? <laughs> well, did you know that uh, Twitter was invented after the what's the founder's name? I can't remember his name off the uh, top of my head. Jack Dorsey. Yeah, he rode uh, in. He was riding in an ambulance, and he was listening to all the first responder uh, chatter back and forth, mm-hmm. and he was thinking, if I put this into basically a a, plat- a technological platform, uh, I could probably get other people to do this. That's yeah. where Twitter came from. I know that. Yeah. Um, but anyways, I was wondering if you could talk briefly about the the effects that having you know your phone and having all these distractions a bunch, like wh- what that really does to you, mm-hmm. um, and also how that can affect your prayer life. Oh well. So the way, the predominant way that I see uh, people uh, being affected by it is that they they have a they sort of train their bodies and their minds to no longer be capable of being still, uh, and it it drives their anxiety levels way up. And it it's actually there's an addiction cycle with it. You get addicted to it. So um, it's that pull back toward Facebook or whatever app is on your phone that draws you to it. Uh, and you, you, you literally are looking for a hit of dopamine. Um, so that's the chemical side of it. And so the, but the, you know, the insidious thing is that you have to, you have to keep going back to it, but it's actually making it worse. So for people that are like highly struggling with anxiety, uh, I, I just tell them, look, you need to start any app that you don't need to have on your phone, get it off. Like, okay, uh, maybe you're on Facebook and you need to be every now and then. Uh, well, then leave Facebook on your computer, but not on your phone. Um, or, you know, for you guys, okay, you've got your radio, but keep your radio off when you're off duty for sure. Don't, uh, don't, amen. Don't cross that line. <laughs> um, and if you can't do that without help, um, I know this sounds silly, and I could, but, I, but there's, there's research that we can't go into today, but get with a buddy that's going to hold you accountable and owe a dollar to some charity. Uh, or something if you're cheap, I'm cheap. So if, you know, if I, if I owe a dollar every time, I, it's like a swear jar kind of a thing. You have to put some kind of roadblock in your way to get you to not do something that, that lets you feel a consequence for doing something because you, you really have to treat yourself like you're an addict. You might not be a dysfunctional addict. You might be addicted to things that are just surrounding us in technology, but it's, it's a it's a very similar, uh, chemical reaction. What's the old phrase? Um, you when, um, it's been misattributed to so many people, so I won't say who it was originally with, but the guy was looking at the man being hanged, and he said, there, but by the grace of God, I go as well. All of all of us are, have those prones, pro, uh, are prone to those addiction cycles. So how that affects your life is, is usually anxiety, but it can also be swing back into depression or those fits of anger because you're you're not getting those hits. Same anything you would see coming out of an addict, you can see coming out of you if you're if you're too attached uh, to some of these things. And and yes, okay, you've got it for your job. I've got it for my job, uh, but I have to be careful how much I um, stay attached to those things. So just a, a warning for your spiritual life, you know, Jesus, couple warnings. Uh, one, he says. Um, you know, the cares and the riches of this world choke out the word of God. So you can be spending great time having a prayer time. And because you are not managing your cares 
and the good things in your life well enough, it will render useless those prayer times. Mm. And what I mean by that is um, if you're praying regularly, you should have a greater sense of peace. But if you're not managing the back end of your life and overflooding the re- every single moment of the rest of your life with things that are going to be filling you with cares and, and riches, uh, which, you know, Facebook or some things like that, or even checking the news, whatever, those, those can be riches. Those are blessings in some ways, right? Um, you, will, you will basically render it in your soul where those things that you, you sort of stowed in earlier, whenever you had your devotional time, uh, will be, will, you'll, you'll feel it. I mean, you'll feel it and you'll sense it and you'll, you'll just recognize it. It's, this is not even doing me any good, so why am I bothering? It's because you weren't managing the back end. And then just the same uh, same kind of thread of warning, you know, Jesus is, um, because lawlessness will increase, the love of many will grow cold. Um, you guys deal with lawlessness on a scale that I can't even imagine, but I mean, this is just as just from a pastoral side, but also just from leading retreats. I mean, I tell people, you need to be careful how much news you take in, because, you know, the old, I, I have a communications undergrad, if it bleeds it leads, right, in their stories. And so just, or anything that drives toward anxiety or these terrible things happening in the world, I'm not saying you don't have to be completely un- uninformed, but pay attention to what's going on with yourself psychosomatically. Like, pay attention to how much you're doing that kind of stuff because it, it can, um, you know, you might be able to reduce your anxiety or your stress just by making a few of those uh, changes. And then, of course, you know, when people come in for retreats and prayer times, we say, leave your, leave your phone behind. Uh, we'll hold on to it for you while you're having this retreat. We do a lot of work with people of like, uh, first thing when you get up in the morning, let it be spirituality before technology. Do something that connects you back to God, that uh, orders your day, devotes it to him first before you pick up that phone. Uh, even if that takes you 30 minutes or an hour before you ever get to that phone, do something that uh, helps connect you to the reality around you rather than uh, technology. Well, I guess the next question that would lead out of this is what what is prayer? Mm. And then how do we engage in that? Let, let's say that, you know, I've either A, never prayed, or B, I haven't prayed in a long time. Mm. Um, I was wondering if you could just give a brief definition as to what prayer is and then maybe a couple pointers for someone that you know hasn't prayed in a while maybe he's never prayed before what that would look like yeah yeah so i mean not everyone would define prayer like this and i can i i will admit that i can give it many different definitions um, because really the the definition of prayer you know there a there's not a webster's definition of this in scripture but what I would feel the whole testimony of Scripture leans toward with prayer is talking to God or communicating with God might even be a better term, and then somehow hearing back from him. And I don't, I'm not saying like, you hear the audible voice of God, you know, speaking. Of course, God always seems to have to have a deep voice, right? Um, but he, anyways, I don't need to go down that road. Um, but uh, hearing back from having some sort of feedback loop where you know God is communicating back with you. Now, that could be through the voice of a friend that couldn't, like, how in the world did they know to say that at this time? It could be 
uh, some sort of circumstantial thing. I will tell you, different denominations will say the Lord laid it on my heart, or I had this impression from the Lord, or you know, some denominations would just say, yeah, the Lord flat out told me, the Holy Spirit told me. But every single denomination has some sort, some way in which they will say, God got back to me. God gave me an answer for that prayer. Um, sometimes it's longer in coming. Sometimes you've got to be praying, you know, and wrestling for that answer. But it should be you're talking to God, you're communicating with him, and he's communicating back with you. Uh, as far as, you know, practical pointers for how do you how do you accomplish that? Like, oh my goodness, how in the world do I know whether or not the Lord's speaking to me and what do I say to him? Well, the the benchmark prayer that I always try to go back to is is the Lord's Prayer. That is the most complete prayer. If you want just like subject matter to talk to him about, our Father, recognizing like like a good Heavenly Father, he is watching over you. He is in the heavens. Anything that you're dealing with, you know, the way I like to say it, um, you know, if you've ever been in an airplane and it's a cloudy day, you take off, you hit that cloud cover and you go right through it. And then what's the sun always doing every single day, whether there's a cloud cover or not? It's shining very brightly. Uh, he is above the cloud cover of this earth. He is always set in the heavens just perfectly fine. So you you address him recognizing that he's got this, he's above this, etc. Who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. You just start praising him for why he's amazing and glorious, etc. And you can go through those various different petitions. You know, every day I need forgiveness. Every day I need to be forgiving people, right? Good prayer to pray. I mean, you see some absolute, un, the stories you were even telling me before we started this interview, just mind-boggling stuff. You have to forgive those people for even that I saw what I saw today. <laughs> And you and you and they might haunt you for so long that you have to forgive them over and over and over, and and the what they've done uh, in your life, you know, you have to keep forgiving them, so to speak. So there's those those are the general subjects. I mean, it is just the most complete prayer. Um, but I would also just encourage, you know, you you guys especially, um, but in the Psalms you see people being very honest with God. You see it actually with Job as well, Jeremiah. Sometimes they're just flat out angry and they're raging at him. Um, I think it was, I don't want to say it for sure, but I think it was Flavel who said, um, you can say anything you want to God so long as you say it to his face. Um, so he, he already knows exactly how you feel. If you're absolutely just in a rage or you're like, I'm, I'm completely doubting that you exist today after what I dealt with, you know, kind of a thing, flat out tell him that and say, I need some help. Um, you know, even John the Baptist, when he was having a moment of tremendous doubt, uh, sent messengers to Christ and said, are you the one or should we look for another? Um, and Jesus not only sent back, yes, I'm the Christ and confirmed it, but then, because I would say, well, he confirmed that. And then he bragged on John the Baptist that this is a great man. Like you can have these tremendous moments of doubt. So, uh, you know, when you, when you look in the gospels and you see people interacting with Jesus, that's a way of that's a form. They had it incarnational right in front of them. That's prayer. They're talking right to God. So when you see these people interacting with God and you see these gentle, incredible responses, that just gives us a picture on how we should be praying. And then as far as circumstances are, uh, or sorry, it's not circumstances, uh, answers to how do we know he's speaking back to us? Well, of course, scripture, be, be in the scriptures. It's harder to recognize the voice of God if you're not somehow getting used to how he communicates. And the scriptures are the primary revelation that we have for how he will speak. In other words, you're just, um, you're better at recognizing the voice of God by 
um, studying the real deal. It's like how to counterfeit dollar bill people recognize the counterfeit. You've heard this story, right? Yep. They they study the real thing as opposed to the counterfeits. Um, so so being steeped in scripture, but then um, Acts seventeen twenty six through twenty eight has a really good uh, clue. It basically you can go back and look it up, but um, God has set up every single moment of your life in order that you would uh, seek him. And so there are ways in which God will um, come after you, speak to you, communicate with you through the various moments that take place in your everyday life that are ways in which he's, he's saying something. He's working to get your attention. He's working to get you to ask questions and to go after him. And so just so you know, every answer of prayer, God's goal is to get you to continue seeking him. He's, he's relentlessly good in pursuing us. So an answer will always come with a, yeah, keep coming um, aspect to it. But I just, um, I haven't, when people pray and say, you know, give me an answer, I, I've never known God to not give an answer, even if an answer is no or keep coming, so to speak, of here's a tiny clue uh, of what you've got to go do some homework on. So there might be like, well, I'm trying to figure out why I'm so screwed up in my head. Well, if you get multiple answers that say you need to go see a counselor, that might be your answer, and you're not going to get a further answer until you go do your homework. Um, there And there's, because that's your, that's your circumstances and that he's working through. Uh, his answers will bring you through a process. Um, and then just the other, uh, you know, thing that would uh, kind of uh, go with that is... Um, God, you can, you can sort of test, you test what God says to you, so to speak. Like if you believe God is leading you in a particular direction, it's okay to say, look, I'm still having some doubts or to lay a fleece before him. The reason why I took a, a, a pastor job in addition to the full-time job I was already doing when I was in seminary at the same time, which was completely crazy. I mean, I told them, no, I can't do this. I can't do all this. Well, you know, it got to be where I was, I went to the Chattanooga House of Prayer board and was going to go talk to one of the board members that I, I knew would be against this. And I said, you know what, God, if, if this man comes back and says, yeah, it's okay if you do this, that's not going to give me the confidence to know that you're sending me here. But if you tell me that if, you, if, he, if this man comes back and says, I love it, I love it, then I'll know that you're sending me to do this. And that's exactly what came out of that man's mouth. Like, just be real with him and tell God, this is what I need in order to do these things. Guide me clearly. I'll do what you want. And submit to him. He'll, he'll get an answer to you somehow. I just have I've always known him to do that. And I think that um, one of the common critiques that I hear from people about prayer um, is, is that, like, you know, you don't audibly, tangibly hear a response a lot Um, and so one of the I had a a college professor bring this up Um, one of the responses that he gave is that you know it's really hard to hear stuff when you're constantly hearing other things in life Mm. and so to slow down and you know once again we're talking about getting getting rid of the the distractions making ourselves available to um, to what God may say to us. I yeah. I, I I just think it's so incredibly important the work that you're doing here to create a a place that is devoted 
to prayer in and of itself because it's so integral to our lives. Like, you know, I I think that um, it's something we talked about way at the very first episode. Um, Human beings are meant to worship, right? Like Mm -hmm. we are, we are built you're going to worship something. Y- yes. And yeah. like we, you, you can never live in a vacuum. You can never not worship something. Yep. And so what should you be trying to worship, right? Yep. Uh, what, what should you devote a lot of your time and your resources and, and your work to, you know? Um, and this circles around all the way back to the, once again, the very first episode uh, where we talked about how we can't worship our work um, mm. and we can't, we can't worship. There are, are good things to devote ourselves to, but the only one worthy of worship is God himself. And so we can't make our entire being around our job, around mm-hmm. um, how well can I write books? How well can I play basketball? You know, it's when we devote ourselves to something that is not God inherently leads to sin mm-hmm. and the degree to which it can lead to sin varies, right? Like it, it is obviously worse for your soul to devote yourself to, uh, to straight up to like Lucifer or Satanism or to straight up nihilism than it is to devote yourself to like basketball. Right. Sure. Um, but it is still like there it is not complete it is not god in the fullness and so it's going to leave us hanging mm-hmm. um adam uh, i've got a, another question for you here before you go, go, on, go ahead. let me just jump in real quick uh just as far as hearing back from god god will never lead you to do anything that violates scripture i also uh you know that's the it's a west it's called the wesleyan quadrilateral but it's you know, God guides you according to Scripture, according to the tradition of the church, the way the Scriptures have always been interpreted, right? Um, and then reason, and then I- experience. You know, he'll, those are the, the tests you sort of run things through. Like, is this violating Scripture? No. Is this violating the way the Scriptures have always been understood to what they mean? No. Is this violating something like that's just absolutely reasonable, logical kind of a thing, which obviously can get messed up because we're humans, but if you go through those first two tests, you know it shouldn't. Pa- it should pass the test of reason, and then is this according to your to the experience of things? So, you know, uh, it it keeps you. You know, one time I quit my job with nowhere to go, didn't know what I was going to even do next, but I knew God was asking me to quit, and I could. I ran through those tests, and there was enough of a of um, sort of God giving me those sort of fleece moments of this is what I want you to do that I knew what to do, but I had seen Him come through so many times. Mike, I had someone say, don't you think this is, this is crazy that you're doing this? And I said, actually, if I were to not do this, it would be crazy because I've seen God ask me to do things that were a challenge to me before and to trust him. And I've done it so many times that to not do this would be the crazy move is because I would be, you know, disobeying something that I know is coming from him. So I just throw all those out there of like, don't, you know, God's never going to tell you to do something that violates Scripture, so don't try to pull that, you know, yeah. God told me to do it. Uh, yeah, God told me to, you know, leave my family, divorce my wife, and right. move that's, to California. He's not, that's yeah. not happening. That's, that's not God. Yeah. might be a spirit, but it's not God. Yeah. All right, so that, yeah. that's just what yeah. I want to get in. 
Well, the uh, final question I've got for you here is, um, do you have any advice that you'd like to give um, to our audience? Like, you know, what's one central thing you could tell us? I think that mm. part of the answer here already is pray. We've talked about this for, you know, 45 minutes now, but mm. um, do you have any particular piece of advice you'd like to say, Hey, you know, I really want to leave you guys with this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think um, just a great question, by the way, and thank you for having me today. Um, I, I think the thing that I would um, sort of advise uh, police officers with, but I, you know, I wouldn't say this to everybody. Cert, uh, you have to be careful how you, this is true, uh, what I'm about to say, but it, you have to depend on, it depends on who you're talking to. Um, you need to take good care of yourselves. Uh, and what do I mean by that? Um, you know, there are lots of like parents that if they weren't told on an airplane, put the oxygen mask on yourself first and then your kid, um, they would just be desperate to save their kids in a scary situation and praise God that they've got that heart. But obviously, you know, you ever seen a kid, you try to put something on a kid, they're going to squirm and wriggle and you're going to pass out and then the kid passes out and you're both doomed. Um, police officers, you know, you're obviously in this field because you care and you're protectors and you're going to serve. That's why you're there. Um, but you're going to pass out and you're not going to be able to help us wriggling people if you don't um, be mindful of how to take care of yourself. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many, I've seen this with pastors and so police officers are going to be the same way. I've seen it with over um, caring parents where it's like you literally have to almost beat them, uh, you know, metaphorically, maybe even physically, you know, would you just take a break? You, you are actually unhealthy and causing problems for everyone around you because you're not taking good care of yourself. And you, you come up with excuses for why you don't, but it's actually being detrimental to literally everyone around you. Yeah, don't be a doctor who's sick and can help it, right? <laughs> right. Uh, and, you know, the, what is it, love your neighbor as yourself. If you are incapable of loving yourself, um, and what I mean by that is receiving the love of God, then you're not going to be good as good at loving your neighbor. We love because he first loved us. Well, if you refuse that love that God is giving to you, how are you going to grow in love? How are you going to be healthy with that? How are you going to be the best um, servant that you could be? You know, in, in military situations, and I know a lot of you know police officers are vets, I believe it's the most uh, difficult maneuver to pull off is, a, is, an, is an orderly retreat. Retreats are where you can get most of your, your guys just, you can get so many people killed. And historically in, in military situations, that's been uh, the case. If, if you retreat, that's when you're mo in most danger of death. So you have to be careful. You have to be wise about how you retreat. But it's also statistically true that uh, armies have much higher, much higher casualty rates when they go into battle tired. And so so just speaking to the, the heart motivation, you want to serve? You want to be the absolute best servant, best protector you can possibly be for as long, for the longest that you can be it? Well, then you've got to make sure that you're doing the things to stay healthy spiritually, physically, mentally, emotionally to go the distance because um, we want you healthy uh, when when you're in your 50s and 60s um, and not just completely shattered because you had a, 
a career of neglecting uh, things uh, that you needed to take care of. And the verse that that comes to mind, it's from Ecclesiastes, I believe it's chapter 10, where it is talking about um, blessed is the land whose kings uh, feast uh, at the proper time. I'm working on pulling it up. Uh, I'll let you pull it up. Um, it, you, you, well, I'm not asking you to just slack off and feast to get drunk and to be lazy and a slacker. But you've got to feast and take good care of yourself uh, in order to prepare for war. That is the land that is blessed. And so you, you guys have, a, have delegated authority as the prince or king of the land, so to speak, uh, in order to take care of people. Mm-hmm. And in order to do that, you've got you've got uh, to feast at the proper time. Ecclesiastes ten sixteen through seventeen is woe to the land whose king was a servant, and whose princes feast in the morning. Blessed is the land whose king is of noble birth, and whose princes eat at a proper time for right. strength and not for drunkenness. For strength and not for drunkenness. Right. Mm-hmm. So if you're feasting in the morning, you're you're having your booze in the morning. That's that's <laughs> yeah. uh, we we got a we got a bad prince here. Kind of a thing. So yeah. same thing with with you guys, uh, at the right time, well ordered. Keep growing in that personal discipline, at, just as you're bringing discipline out into the community. So I guess that'd be yeah. the advice, uh, because you know, deeply we're all and, and thank you all uh, for your service. I mean, really grateful for it. Uh, my father-in-law is a retired Detroit area police officer, so and and a vet. So grateful for you guys, and we we need you. Um, we need you to be healthy. Yeah. Well, thank you. Um, well, thank you for listening to the remaining same podcast. We've had a great episode with Adam. If you have any questions for the podcast, uh, fill out the Google form. It can be attached in the description. And also, if, if you know someone you believe would be a great guest, there's a separate Google form that's under the first one. Remember, you can find us on Twitter at remaining sane PC. Have a blessed rest of your day.